0: Hi, I'm Isaac, lead pastor of New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Thanks, Trish. Well, good morning, New Hope. How are we doing? It is great to be with you here today. Um, I got a text from Isaac last night uh, that said, uh, Hey, man, so glad you're coming. I'm not. <laughs> We're stuck, and I know there's a great story behind it uh, that you saw a picture of, but I'm excited to hear the Paul Harvey rest of the story. Um, and so, as Trish mentioned, uh, my name is Jason Albello, and uh, with me today is my bride, Nikki. She's down here in the front row. Um, yeah, she definitely deserves a hand because we've been married for 24 years. That's a long time to be tolerating me. Um, and uh, uh, we have two great kids, uh, Ashley and Jarrett. Ashley is twenty. She's down in California, and Jarrett is seventeen, and he's uh, home with us, finishing doing an early college program. Uh, and uh, that's that is our quiver. I, I'm also I Trish mentioned this, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in a little while. But uh, I was at the, the lead position at East Still Church, of so the lead pastor there for twelve years. I've served there for nineteen uh, as a pastor. Um, and just this last week, uh, no kidding, a week ago today. I stepped down and uh, passed the baton to the next lead pastor, um, because God is calling me to step in some new directions. Uh, I've, I have been serving for several months as the district missions representative. What on earth does that mean? We're a part of a, a district uh, of four square churches. There are 115 four square churches in Oregon, Southwest Washington, and Alaska. And uh, I, my job is to connect, resource those churches to the global mission field. There are about 1,500 churches uh, in the United States, four square churches in the United States, Outside the United States, worldwide, there are over 4 square churches. Um, you are a part of a beautiful global family and uh, I, I, get to, I get the privilege of connecting uh, connecting our four square churches from the u s to the, to the globe and there's some incredible things that are happening we 're in an interesting season It is an interesting season for us to be uh, uh, to be here in, in our culture. How many of you have noticed? A shift in the culture in the last oh ten fifteen years, as things have become a little more intense. Have you noticed that? Temperatures kind of going up a little bit. Rhetoric is is really high, a fevered pitch, and uh, a, a lot of a lot of articles that we see kind of speak this message of, of of what we have come to realize. For my kids, that generation they they're calling the first biblically illiterate generation. That is a generation that is growing up without a Judeo-Christian understanding, a, a, a knowledge of God from the Scriptures, the stories, the narratives that are there. And the, and sociologists want to push and say, well, this is just kind of the way it's always been and, and things are just going to get worse and worse. and And, you know... I have a different, uh, a different understanding, a different perspective of, of the season in which we're living. Um, I, recently, I've been spending time in the last six months or so reading about renewal and reading about revivals, about what has happened and what's taken place in those. There's an author by the name of uh, James Brown, uh, uh, no, um, I'll get his name here in a minute, uh, an author who wrote a book really good book so good I couldn't find it James Burns there it is James Burns uh, James Brown was good too he feels good um, I could go on all day I'll just stop so, uh, James Burns, and he wrote about the, the kind of the history of, of revivals, and, and his perspective is, is that he says, you know, that w- whenever you see things kind of recede, and it seems like these days that the church is receding, especially in America, he says, no, that it's kind of like, it, it's the, like the tide. You will see it come in and go out. And how many surfers? Any, any surfers in the room? Any at all? No one? Anyone seen a surfboard? Okay. Um, dreamed of surfing? Uh, If you spend any time near the ocean, you know that waves come in in, in what, what are they called? Sets. They come in in sets. And you'll see the waves come in, and then they'll go out, and then there's this long pause. And then when it goes out, and you feel like it can't go out any further, all of a sudden, the tide comes back in again and it comes in and it's the beginning of a new set. That's kind of his perspective, in my words, on on his writing about revival is that it comes in waves. That you see waves come and waves go, but in that pause, it's the pause that tells you that God's about in the process to do something new. And I think that's kind of the season in which we are. One of the things that I'm getting to see in my role in serving the global foursquare family is this kind of awakening that's taking place. I'll give you an example. Um, I was just on the phone uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday afternoon, with one of our uh, workers who is in, who is undercover in the DPRK. That is the Democratic Republic, uh, Democratic People's Republic of. You never, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, of of Korea. Um, You ever notice how in places that aren't democratic, they have to add the word democratic to that? Anyone? Anyway, um, I get distracted. Anyway, they are seeing some incredible things take place. Um, uh, In God, they're they're living in China, doing business and doing ministry along the river and planting churches. And they're watching people open their hearts to the person of Jesus Christ. um, uh, Undercover. Uh, I heard from an Australian who was talking about how there are more Persians, Iranians, who are coming to Jesus Christ in uh, Australia right now than in the last year than there have in the previous 10 years, um, that we're watching in, in Turkey. Uh, we have some, uh, some friends there they're just seeing extraordinary things that are taking place. God's in the process of moving and uh, the, the challenge that we have is how do we trust what does it mean to trust and follow God in the midst of these seasons where it feels like we 're on the edge where it feels like we 're being pushed to the margin where our perspective where the perspective of a christ follower isn 't valued in the culture and is is questioned and challenged and, and, and we 're in a season. Where economically, socially, politically, there's just tension. Do you feel the tension that's there? And the challenge is, how do we trust and follow Jesus in the midst of that? What does it mean to trust and follow Him in the midst of that? And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that has so much to say to us about the times in which we find ourselves living. These types of moments and seasons. If you've got a Bible, open it up with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. While you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of kind of perspective, context. Anytime you, you dip into a place of Scripture, you drop into a place of Scripture, um, it's really important to understand the context in which uh, it's, it's being uh, given. And this is the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew's an eyewitness, and he's watching what's taking place in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. This, is, in fact, this passage is called the, a part of the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is speaking about the end times times that describe kind of the seasons and the pressures and the tensions that you feel, that you feel as maybe a single parent in the midst of trying to balance all of the economic challenges, all of the social challenges, all of the pressures that you feel. Challenges that you feel as a student, as a college student, high school student, uh, as a working professional, and then dating relationships, and marriages, and everything in between. Jesus describes this season, and then as though He's anticipating the question that the disciples are going to ask, He gets to the question of how it is that we, what it looks like to trust and follow Him in these moments. And he does this in a very unique way, as only Jesus can. He does it through the use of an instrument called a parable. Now, a parable is a story. It's a made-up story that Jesus makes up. But he uses it to make a larger point, to help us understand some things about who he is, about how he thinks, about what moves his heart, and about how we are designed to function and partner with him. And what's interesting about parables is in, in when Jesus tells a parable, there's almost always just two characters in the parable. There, and I'll, do you know who those two characters are? The, the first one, I'll tell you, is, is usually one of the characters represents God. The other one, any, any takers? Us. That's right. It's us. It's you and it's me. And in this particular parable, Jesus gives us a good practical picture about how you and I can trust and follow Him in the midst of difficult and uncertain times. Let's pick up the story, uh, Matthew chapter 25. We'll pick it up beginning at verse 14. Again, it, now it, the it he's referring to here is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that the kingdom of heaven, life in the kingdom, you're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about the kingdom. It's all about understanding the it that Jesus is referring to. So and that's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here we're at the end, and Jesus is pointing backwards and saying, Hey, before, before I, 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 I step to what I, I was sent here to do, you need to understand this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few. Circle that word few. We're going to come back to it in a minute. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents, the story goes on. He regains two more, shows them to the master. The master says the exact same thing. But now it comes to this interesting other character. Incidentally, how many characters are in this parable? Four. That's what you guys are. See, you're more awake than the nine because you guys got four. Several in the last were like, no, there's three. Three servants and a master. Three plus one is four. Aren't you glad I went to seminary for that? <laughs> so f- four servants. We get to this mysterious fourth servant. He looks and he says, The man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now notice what the master responds to and doesn't respond to. Very interesting. Verse 26, He replied, You wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I harvested where I hadn't sown and gathered where I hadn't scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he who will have and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him, and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ooh, what a happy, fun ending to the story, right? Yeah, I mean, interesting story. There's so much that's going on here behind the scenes. And if you're not careful, you don't see the detail, you'll miss, you'll miss the larger point that Jesus is making and likely come to some wrong conclusions about what's there. Now, a couple of things we have got to point out. Number one, Jesus tells a story that centers around him giving, the master giving what? Talents, giving talents out. What's a talent? Okay, so a talent is roughly 6,000 denarii. That clears it up, doesn't it? Yeah, 6000 If it was three, it'd be one thing. But six, okay. What's a denarii? A a denarii is roughly a day's wages. Most scholars uh, agree that that's what he's referring to here. And so according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, in 2018, the average daily wage across the U.S. for a full-time employee was $22.50 an hour. So if you did a talent that's 6,000 times a daily wage, that would be like over $130,000. Um, That's how many would say that's a few dollars Yeah, that's uh, now if you were to adjust that for inflation That's in today's it it would be like would be the equivalent for these folks of millions of dollars for them I mean an untold amount of money. They couldn't even begin to understand they were under such taxation There are some scholars that point out that the first century Jew is under as high as 90% taxation from the Roman government so Jesus is talking in terms of uh, uh, in terms of money, amounts of money that are extraordinary, that are just blowing the listeners' minds. And when we look at this, uh, what's one of, what we tend to focus on? What's the first thing you notice about the master giving gifts? What, is, what do you first notice about master giving gifts here to the to the in the story? They're unfair, uneven. Thank you very much. The check is in the mail to you guys. Every single time I share this story, every single time so far, the very first observation we make, and myself too, when I see this, the very first thing that jumps off to me is that's not fair. What, what's up with the inequality there, God? You, you give five, you give two, and you give one. I mean, come on, what's up with that? What, 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 what gives? And... And what I love about the story is Jesus is drawing a couple of points here. Number one, notice not the uneven amounts, but notice what's true for every servant. They all received something. They all received something. And not just a little something. They received what? A lot of something. How many of you would be like, you know, if I put $130,000 in your lap right now, you'd be like, yeah, that's a little bit. <laughs> no, that would be a, that'd be a game changer, wouldn't it? That would change the game radically for you, and it would for these. But what's interesting here is in the story, everyone gets something, but I think Jesus is also painting a picture of as life as we experience it. We all know people don't we all know some folks who, when you look at them, you're like, man, they are dripping with gifts. Like, they can play the guitar, they can lead worship, and they can sing all at the same time. That's extraordinary. I, 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 I don't have that many gifts. I just, I don't have that. How, how many, raise your hand if you know somebody who's just, who's dripping with gifts of, of one sort or another. You look at them, and you're like, man, you got gifts all over. And I got like, here's my penny. I'm going to polish my penny. <laughs> R- right? I mean, we, we experience that, and we see some folks who've got upfront gifts, but we see other folks who've got behind-the-scenes gifts, and we tend to platform and honor the upfront gift, but not pay attention, but, but the behind-the-scenes is just as important and strategic, and we tend to want to focus on, on that one, but Jesus gives us a picture here of life as we experience it. That, that That's kind of the way that life is. And the reality that Jesus points out here is that it's not about the measure of gift. That's not the point that Jesus is drawing. We focus there, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story isn't, isn't about how much you were given, it's about what you did with what you were given. What you were given. So how do we trust and follow Jesus? Well, number one, remember the generous God of creation has given to every one of us something. Every one of us has been given something. Something with which we get to partner with him. Look at the language that Jesus, the master storyteller employs here. A huge sum of money. And what's the word I had you circle? Few. His perspective on, uh, I'm sorry, if I were to put... $130,000 in front of you right now, none of us would be like, well, that's just a few. (laughs) That's extraordinary. And Jesus does it to underline something for us, that that's the way God rolls with respect to his kids, with respect to creation. Everybody, Whether you've said yes to Jesus Christ here or not, that's how God feels with respect to you, is that He is gracious and generous. He's gracious and generous. He's not some selfish curmudgeon who's around with a ledger. And I don't know about you, but that's sometimes the way I I can respond is I I look at when I'm in difficult times, difficult seasons, it's easy for me to contract and hold on and and kind of think about not what I have, but what I don't have. Look what they have. They have this. How come they they drive this? They live there. Look what's going on. How come I don't have that, Lord? I've been serving you. Now I know no one in the room has ever thought those thoughts before but we have friends who have right, right. right. Absolutely and 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 the reality is that's not who God is It's not who God is and you see this because one of the most frequently quoted verses in the Bible, by the Bible, Exodus 34, 6. You'll find this little verse everywhere. You'll find it in the poets, in the prophets. You'll find it in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the historical books. It gets quoted all kinds of places. The Lord, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in loving faithfulness. Why? Why? because God wanted us to understand and never lose sight that when it comes to him, that's who he is. And that's what Jesus is. One of his primary points of coming to earth was to remind people, to let us know who God is and what he's like, because we've lost the plot line. Jesus is talking into the religious establishment on the Mount of Olives. You can go there today. I, I've been there and you, you overlook Jerusalem and the, all of the religious establishment. The Temple Mount would have been there and Jesus is seeing all of this and with as much pomp and circumstance as they have, they have forgotten who God is. They've forgotten how gracious He is. That God is slow to anger and rich. In loving, steadfast faithfulness. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, you know, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, it hasn't even entered the mind of man the things that God has set aside for those who love him. Let me ask you, how clear are you on what God's entrusted to you? Notice the investment looked different for these two wise for the two wise servants, just like it will look different for you and me. How you're supposed to run your race is different than I'm running mine. Why? Because your race is different. And that's one of the things I love about this story is notice the conversation between the master and the servant never involves the other servants. It's only one on one. Why? Because obedience is all about what he says and no one else. And it underscores One of the killers for us that will keep us from being able to experience everything that you were designed to experience. You know, one of the killers for us is comparison. Comparison kills. It absolutely will kill you. It will sap you. Why? Because you'll stand and you'll look and compare your race with someone else's race and there's no point of comparison. I'll hear conversations all the time about, how many sports fans we got in, in the room? Uh, Yeah, come on now. Let me know who you are. Yeah, okay. Ducks, where are my beavers? Come on. Beavers managed to... We've prayed and fasted for a win this week. Um, That's how you can tell we're a spiritual team. I'm kidding. I am a beaver, though. I, I graduated from Oregon State University, both my bride and I. I digress. I, I regularly will hear people compare sports teams of one season with sporting teams of another season. Now, is there any use in that comparison? No. Why? Because they were in completely different seasons, completely different times, completely different eras, completely different players. In the same way, we can get caught up in comparison. This season for Nikki and me of choosing to step out of the lead pastor at East Hill. I've been there for 19 years and, and uh, um, uh, 12 in the lead role. And I left this season, uh, large, I left not because I'm fatigued, not because I'm tired, not because I don't have vision. I got vision. I got fuel in my tank. I'm, I'm ready to go. I left because God said, son, your season here, your assignment is complete. I want you to step into the next place. But before you can, I can show you, you have to go. The going precedes the showing. And can I just be honest? Can I, I'm going to be. I got the mic, so I'm going to be honest. So I, I got to tell you, this has been so hard. One of the things that I've wrestled with so much in this season is stepping out and being obedient. And the, and the questions I'll get is, so what are you doing now? I mean, what are you, what are you giving yourself to? Uh, as though my life is over now that I'm not in that particular role. And, uh, and it's just been that constant thing of the Lord saying, Son, I honor obedience. Obedience is just simply listening to my voice. There's no fruit in comparing your role into anyone else's role. Would you simply trust and follow me? invest where I've asked you to invest. And stepping into this role as the district missions rep, it's, it's a, it is a, a love. I've been doing it. I was doing it while I was a lead pastor. It's a, it's a part-time role. And so I'm, I have some real-time, like, no kidding, r- real-time equations that we're balancing in faith. Like, we have these things that arrive with astonishing predictability every month called uh, b- 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 bills. That's what they are. Um, it, and, and, and I'm, I'm in this place where I'm like, God, I'm, I'm choosing to trust you. And in the process, it is so uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable. Yet I am learning how to trust and follow him at a whole nother level. I'm learning how to get rid of comparison. And the challenge in this is developing some things. And the reality is we need challenge. We need challenge. Our researchers have figured this out. Uh, there was a research uh, study that was done some time ago at the University of California in Berkeley. And uh, they wanted to discover how systems, a controlled system, would respond to adversity. So they decided to do a study with uh, amoebas. Apparently, they lacked college students. So they found some single-celled organisms. Um, and so, what they did is they said, We're going to put these amoebas into a perfectly controlled environment. We're going to give it the perfect amount of moisture, light, uh, heat, uh, the perfect amount of food, everything that they need. And you know what happened to the amoeba? It died. It died. You see, it turns out that in order for the single-cell organism to thrive, it needs just a little bit of adversity. It needs stuff to be able to grow into what it's supposed to be. And the truth is, we have a lot in common with amoebas. All living things do. You think about this, we know this, we understand this experientially. When a student is in a classroom and a teacher wants the student to lean to, to learn, what does, this, what does the teacher give the student? Answers? No, questions, problems. Give them problems. A train leaves New Hope at 35 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, sorry, limbic memories for me. We'll have a ministry time right here for all of us who are struggling with story problems. We get problems because problems help us to develop. They help us to grow muscles. When you go to the the gym, how many people go to the gym? How many people have seen a gym, know how to spell gym? <laughs> Okay, when you go to the gym, you li- what do you lift? Wait, and if you want to grow, if you want to grow pompotude, what do you have to do? You have to have bigger weights. Why? Because to grow the muscle, you have to tear it down a little bit. See, Jesus does this masterfully in the parable. Is that he shows that he's giving some challenges there to them about what they're going to do with the stuff that's entrusted to them. And there's challenge that's in that. Why? Because in the challenge, they'll discover something. They'll discover something. And that's why he says, uh, he says what he says. And then notice the story how the third servant responds. Then the man who had received the one talent, verse 24, came, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I love that this is in there because it shows us one of the other things that will destroy our capacity to trust and follow him. Fear kills. Notice that this guy, how, what kind of expectations he has with respect to the master He's making all kinds of character. You know, here's, here's one that I've learned over time. A wise mentor told me this years ago. Said, you know what? Anytime you find yourself having a conversation about God instead of a conversation with God, you're not on shaky, you're, you're not on firm ground. You're on shaky ground. And fear usually is not too far away fear's not too far away. That's what's going on is the master, the servant, is telling himself a story about who the master is and isn't. And he's drawing conclusions. You think back to Genesis chapter 3. That's the original problem. Eve and the serpent are having a conversation about who God is instead of inviting God into that equation. And notice how the master responds to the servant. He says, he looks at the servant and he's like, look, you wicked and lazy servant. Notice what he responds to and what he doesn't respond to. He says, "Look, look, dude, you weren't even consistent with your own story. Your story says I'm a hard and evil guy. He doesn't take the bait and defend himself. He doesn't do that. He simply says, look, your own premise would require that you operate differently. You're not even being consistent with your own values, let alone anybody else's. And so he, he turns him over. He turns the, the, the gifts over. See, what I love about that picture is that God is always moving us into just the right place for each season in which we find ourselves. The story of the parable is he's saying, look, the the point of the parable is he's saying, look, I want you to understand, I have given something to every single one of you, whether you've said yes to Jesus Christ or not, whether you're here and you've been walking with him for 50 years or are still investigating the claims of Christ. And if that's you, man, we are so thrilled that you're here. I know Isaac, Pastor Isaac, and I can tell you, that's the reason, and Pastor Abe, that's the reason why this place exists. It's for you. So that this would be a place that you would come to understand what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, partner, handcrafted partnerships. See, every one of us has a ministry within the church and a mission outside of the church. Every single one of us is designed with that. Let me show you some of what I mean. We're going to put some folks, uh, pictures of some folks who have taken this seriously, this Ephesians 2. This is a picture of a gal. We're going to call her Michelle. I can't tell you Michelle's real name because she works undercover. She is a 76-year-old retired worker who uh, has given her life to, to Jesus Christ, serving in the local church. And in this season of retirement, felt like God was saying, I want to take you on an adventure. And she said, okay, God, I'll go. And the Lord put it on her heart. And just this last year, she was sent as a a long-term worker in what we call a creative, we don't say closed, because like God's not closed off from anywhere. Amen? 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 Amen. Yeah, it's called a creative access country. She's working in Turkey. Uh, with with Muslims and the ministry that she's a part of is is seeing extraordinary things take place Um, I was just talking with them uh, just a couple of months ago and that let me know that in this last uh, just two months ago they planted their first Iraqi four square church um, with the baptism of 14 uh, 14 men who are getting baptized and giving their life to Jesus Christ They're seeing, yeah, give God a hand for that. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. You need to understand how extraordinary this is. In the previous couple of years, they're seeing more people come to Christ every month than they have seen in the previous 20 years of ministry to to Muslims. And that's extraordinary when that happens. But that's all because a, a, a woman said, you know what, I'm not done. God's got a ministry for me and I'm saying yes to what it looks like. I, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I know that there are, are, are many in, in, this, in, in this place and we're in the last service as well who just feel like you've missed your moment. Like you're too old. Like somehow, and isn't it interesting how the mark moves? Like for those of us who are over, over 40 or some in their 30s feel like, I've missed it. I'm too old. And then there's those of us in our 60s who would look back and say, dude, if I only had those years again. But here's the, the, the enemy will never stop accusing and trying to take you out of the fight. To tell you that you somehow missed it. And can I tell you, you have not missed it. You have not missed it. There has never been a greater time for a need for spiritual grandparents than in a culture that's growing up with generations who don't know the story, who don't know the narrative, who don't know what your life and your gray hair has experienced of the faithfulness of God. There are young people in this community that desperately need someone who's walked with Jesus for years to love them right where they're at. Right as they are. One of the stories of revival that I've been uh, listening to or actually reading. Uh, revival in the Hebrides. It's one of the islands, the Lewis Awakening in the 1940s. It came to, to England and it was started. You know how it was started? It was started by two, uh, much, uh, two 80-year-old ladies one who was blind and one who was so broken over with arthritis that she couldn't make it to church. But she said, you know what? I can't make it to church, but I can pray and I can bring church here. And so she prayed. She prayed day and night and finally uh, the Lord had spoken to her about a a pastor and so she had someone write the letter for her inviting this pastor to come out, uh, Duncan, to come out and, and preach and he did and revival broke out. Revival broke out in that community so great that ships that were passing by, like passenger liners that were going by, had people, men and women who were falling over, giving their life to Jesus Christ, confessing sin because the Spirit of God was so strong on that island why just because two 80 year old infirmed women who most people by the things of man would say nope they don't have any more to contribute to the equation those two heard the voice of God and contended and God moved what if God positioned you here in Salem our state's capital our capital city for such a time as this In a state that most people would say is so far from God, uh, I don't know if it'll ever turn around, but we would persist and say, No, no, no. What if, what if we're here for such a time as this that we would be a part of praying in that kind of move of the Spirit of God? Come on, people. What if that were the case? Let me show you this other pictures of, uh, of folks. Uh, Jan Brower, she's a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse. And she, that picture is her preaching in our church. She's not a staff, uh, staff pastor, but she absolutely has gifts of teaching. And she realized, I've got gifts to be able to contribute. And so we've brought her in, and she's teaching was part of the teaching team. She's uh, been to several medical trips, just like you guys are doing in Shao, uh, and building a medical t- clinic. She helped build a medical clinic in Nigeria. She's helped preach and teach to pastors and leaders, to bishops over dozens of churches. Why? Because she understood that God has gifted her. Next to her are high school students uh, uh, that are in uh, Guatemala. And they're ministering. They raised all of the funds themselves, and they are watching God work through them and in them to the world around them. The next picture's up here. Uh, You see in the lower right hand corner, that's an infectious disease doctor, a good friend of mine, Jason Van Winkle, uh, and he is standing next to the Mada King, uh, a king over thousands and thousands of people in Nigeria. And he is coming to understand who Jesus Christ is because that's. That doctor made a decision to use his gifts and capacities and abilities uh, the middle school student up there who is working on serving the school in tangible way just doing yard work for the schools and saving the schools hundreds of thousands of dollars in the Gresham Barlow School District because they gather with other uh, people from the other churches coming together to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ why because she understands that she's been given gifts that are to be used and if I I don't use them. I'm going to lose them because the question I'm going to be asked at the end of the day isn't "What did I? why didn't I do what someone else did? The question is what did I do with what I was given? What do I do with what was given? I love this picture. A spiritual grandma in the upper left-hand corner uh, it's I bookends for me. It's my son in the other two pictures who is serving in Uganda with me in a recent trip that we took and then, then preaching in a church with me. And he was sharing how God had, had, had dealt with some brokenness in his life, being incredibly vulnerable. I was so proud of him. And then the other picture is a spiritual grandma uh, who for years, she's in her 90s. And uh, in sometime in her uh, early 80s, late 70s, um, her, her was getting to the place where she couldn't get out to serve in the ways that she would normally serve within the church. And she says, You know what, Pastor? I, I can't get to all of these places like I used to. But you know what? I can pray the hell out of somebody. And so she headed up our telecare ministry. Every time we take offering, we give prayer requests and we give people the opportunity to put their name and phone number down. Every one of those, she's raised up a team that prays for them. And where they need a phone call, she will call them and connect with them and let them know that someone is thinking about them and that God is interceding on their behalf. I could go on. I could go on for, for a long time. And there are so many stories that are here. But the interesting piece about all of these stories is they all involve, in even the parable as well, they all involve the challenge of moving in faith. Faith is what undoes the comparison and undoes the fear. That's why I love what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, now faith is the what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. That my faith can't be any stronger than what I'm hoping in. Where have you placed your hope? Where have you placed your hope? And the evidence of where you've placed your hope is what you're doing with your faith. Faith what you're doing with your faith. See, the the challenge for them is they all get the opportunity. Every one of these servants has the same opportunity. Even though there's more sums of money, that doesn't matter. The issue is they have a choice to risk what they have. I want to close with um, one of the things, a story of of one of the ways that God's... Help me to understand the power of his faithfulness. Because the author of Hebrews also says that God is a rewarder of those who pursue him by faith, the substance of what's hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And what I love about the gracious, generous God is he not only gives generously, but he prepositions generously so that he puts the provision out in front of you years in some cases before you even knew that you needed to have the ask. For me, that, that came clear in uh, the season when I started pastoring East Hill as the lead pastor in 2007, some 12 years ago. When I stepped in, I was stepping in for my, uh, uh, my predecessor, uh, who's also my father-in-law, uh, not to complicate the relationship at all. Um <laughs> As, as you can imagine, that was uh, an intense fellowship we had in those moments. We, are, we have a great relationship, and it has a, been a phenomenal partnership, but challenging. He'd been there for 24 years, had grown the church to immense dimensions, and, and ran his race incredibly well. And I was stepping in at that point in time, and I had a very young family. I had a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And uh, to say that I was struggling with comparison and insecurity was an understatement. It was the pressure was intense, incredibly intense. And as I was stepping in, he said, you know, I, I want to send you to uh, go spend some time with your, your mentor, uh, Wayne Cordero. And so he sent me over to Pastor Wayne. He's a pastor in Hawaii um, and uh, a, f- a phenomenal mentor and coach for Nikki and me. And we went into his office, and one of the things that he had in his office, he has this stick, and he says, Jason, do you know what this is? I said, no. He said, I-, I-, I said, what is it? He goes, it's my O stick. Now, the O stick in the Hawaiian culture is a stick that was used by the original pioneers to prepare the ground for seed and to help them in the harvest as well. And he says, I keep it here in front of my desk to remind me to stay a pioneer. See, Jason, you you can't ever become a settler. The difference between a settler and a pioneer is a, a, a settler stops thinking about how to take territory and just starts thinking about how to keep what he's got. Jason, don't ever become a settler. Reject that. You must stay a pioneer. Stay a pioneer. Find yourself a reminder because the pressure is going to be immense to try and stay a settler. So you need to find yourself an o-o-stick. I'm like, okay, o stick got it, find an o stick And I come back to Oregon, you know, which is just a few thousand miles from Hawaii. And I'm like, ooh, there's an o stick an o-o-stick. Well, uh, I, I, I didn't realize that in the charge that I was given, God had already taken care of the details before I even knew what I was looking for. One day when I came into the office, there was a, actually one, after one of the services, there was an information counter. There was a long brown wrapping uh, object. It was wrapped in brown paper and there was an envelope attached to it. And uh, I want to just take a moment. Is it okay if I re- read this to you? Uh, it was a letter that was attached to to this, what, what I have now seen as a stick. Dear Pastor Jason, it's dated January of 2007. I stepped in in August of 2007, uh, officially. Uh, Dear Pastor Jason, I'm writing to you this letter in what I believe to be obedience to the Lord's Word in my life. I'm one of the flock who didn't much care for the idea of passing the baton, quote-unquote. Nothing against you personally, it's just that a big part of East Hill Church to me is Ted Roberts. His coaching has been majorly responsible for turning our family to the Lord and helping us change from curses to places of blessing. The thought of not having him as senior pastor seemed to leave a void that was unfillable. A couple of months ago, while you were preaching, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, accept him. I knew what he meant, but I pushed it aside. I don't want to, God. I don't want him. I want Ted. Warm, fuzzy part of the letter. (laughs) After pushing the Holy Spirit's word aside for a couple of weeks, never a positive move, I didn't think much of it anymore until I was sitting in service. His will entered my spirit and mind and told me, bend your knee and extend your hand. Now this time, the Holy Spirit was a little more forceful and included, give him the walking stick. You need to know, art is a hobby of mine. Lately, it's been carving walking sticks. What? I thought, that's nuts. He probably won't even like that one. How about one of the dumber ones? I pleaded, please, silence. Well, okay, I thought. I've been going through the book of Judges lately, and the part where Gideon asked the Lord for a sign came to mind. So I said, okay, Lord, you want me to bend my knee, extend my hand, and give Jason one of my most favorite hiking sticks. Okay, give me a sign, and then I'll do it. A few days went by, and I didn't get hit by lightning. I thought I won. I thought it was over, until I walked into the foyer at church, and it was filled with Christian art, bringing glory to the Lord. Tears swelled in my eyes. I carved to give God glory. Then during service, Ted said, uh, and uh, he had heard the Lord tell him to bend his knee and serve, and I about snapped my neck off. It was the exact same words the Lord had spoken to me. On top of that, Ted's main point was about getting a sign from God, which Ted having a main point was a miracle in itself and a sign. (laughs) That's not my embellishment. It really is there. I know now that Ted must follow the Holy Spirit's call for his new direction, just as he did years ago to start the healing here at East Hill Church. I also know that the Lord's hand is powerfully on you and your wife to lead East Hill forward. So I'd like you to know, Jason Albello, that I acknowledge you as my senior pastor and my spiritual coach. I look forward to the new paths that we will walk together. God bless you and your family, one of the flock, P.S. I still don't know what the deal is with giving you the stick, but I hope you like it. <laughs> They're going to put a picture of the stick up there for you so you can see this. It is gorgeously hand-carved. And we know what's carved all the way around it. Hebrews 11.1 1, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. It has a carving of a shepherd on the top because it's talking about Abraham, who is the what? Pioneer of our faith. And this last week, you know that, that, that stick, when you look at the stick, it was carved two years before the transition even happened. That's how tender God is. Yeah. That's how specific He is. As specific as he has been for me in provision, in provision of a stick. I can't pay the bills with a stick. But he knew how much I would need something like that. And prepared it in just the right way at just the right time. And this last week, when I did my transition, I felt again the Lord ask me to move in faith. And I handed that stick to the new lead pastor, Keith Jenkins as a gift to him and a reminder for him to stay a pioneer. What's my point? My point is, what is the place where God's inviting you, asking you to come step out into the deep waters of his goodness, his faithfulness, and his provision? I get it. Some of you are looking at me and going, you don't know the challenges, the stuff that I'm dealing with. Yeah, you're right. I don't, but he does. And the very things that you feel like disqualify you from partnership with the living God are the very things that eminently qualify you to be a displayer of his grace, a communicator of his love, acceptance, forgiveness, and grace in language that people will understand. Who better to communicate with an addict than one who knows the pain of addiction? Who better to communicate to a divorcee than someone who knows the pain of what's involved in that? You have not been forgotten. God has you on his heart and mind. And his desire is to want to partner with you. One of the things I love about our missiology in Foursquare is we believe in indigenous leadership development. That is, we think the best people to reach people are folks who are like that people. Could it be that God placed you here in Salem at New Hope because your gifts are precisely what is needed in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your communities? That there are husbands and wives, there are men and women, there are kids, there are students who are desperate to hear that their life can make a difference because they need it told through your eyes. So my question is, where's God inviting you to step out and to trust Him? Where's the place that you find God the Holy Spirit saying, come follow me in obedience? What if we began to measure the size, measure the, the, the depth. The, what if we were to begin to measure the effectiveness of our church, not by the size of the gathering, but by the depth of our followership, right. our willingness to trust and follow God right where we're at. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. As the worship team comes forward, I'm, I wanna just pray for us, to lead us in some places of response. Because my sense is that me being here today is not by, <laughs> it's not by happenstance. And I spent weeks actually thinking about the message here today about what, what it was that God wanted me to speak. And the Lord kept leading me back. Hey, you can ask Nikki. We had conversation about other things and, and I was just like, I can't, honey, I can't let go of this. I feel like a dog with a bone, like the Lord's just like, "I want this here." And my sense is that God is prophetically moving in our midst. that He's calling you. He's calling you to some places of activation. Maybe for some of you, it's this ministry connect that you're realizing, maybe for the first time, I've got something to contribute. That I, as maybe as much as I think that there's there, that there's something I need to receive by contributing. There's a muscle that God wants to grow in me that's only going to be discovered as you step out by faith. Could I invite you today to allow the Lord to meet you in that space? Let's pray. Spirit of the living God. I thank you so much for your presence in this place. Lord, for this people that you've called together on this chunk of earth for this time, for this kairos appointed time. Lord, for for every single one of us, there is a place, a point of, of partnership that you've called us to. A ministry within and a mission without. And God, for some of us here today, we've said yes to you. We've we've said yes to trusting and following you. But there's a new level that you're calling us out to. There's a place, a sense in which you're calling us from the shallow out into the deep. And maybe for the first time we recognize we've been sitting on some gifts. If that's you here today, and you would say, you know what, yeah, I, I realize God's inviting me and I've just, I've let stuff, I've let excuses schedule, I've let stuff get in the way. And I realize I need to take a step. If that's you, just in this moment between, between you and me, if that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that that's where I'm at. I'm realizing I need, I need to respond. Okay. Yeah. Keep your hands up. I want to, I want to pray for you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I pray for every one of these hands that are raised. God, you know their stories. You know the stuff that they're wrestling with, the places where the accuser would come in and constantly throw up failures and weaknesses and insecurities. But Lord, in Jesus' name, we silence the voice of the accuser. and We ask right now, Lord, just as I slap my hands, Lord, that there would strike the ground, Lord, with a new, with a new vein, Lord of your grace and the move of your spirit in their life. Lord, let there be birthed a whole new sense of courageous obedience to your voice. Lord, let new gifts be activated and released into the body. I pray for courageously obedient hearts to respond now and act on your words speaking in their hearts. Give them vision. Lord, wake them up in the middle of the night, dreams and visions and words, Lord, that would lead them in how to be the partner you've designed them to be in Jesus' name. And God, for others of us, maybe for the very first time today, or maybe we're coming back to a realization of, that we haven't, that, that we've yet to open the person of Jesus. That the starting point for a partnership begins with being willing to trust Him, to invite Him into your life. Hmm. If that's you, if you're here today and you realize maybe for the first time that you've never made that decision or maybe you're here and you made a decision but you walked away and you're realizing maybe for the first time in a long time that the gracious God, He's not angry with you, but that He welcomes you in. If that's you, and you realize, you know what, I need to respond to His to His call today. If that's you, would you just raise your head and your hand so I can pray with you? Yeah. Okay. Okay, yep. Okay. Would you all just repeat this simple prayer with me? Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I don't deserve it, but you have given it. I recognize I need your presence. So this moment, this day, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are my Lord my King and my Savior. Show me now how to walk out being a follower of you with everything I say and everything I do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to lead us in, Devin's going to lead us in in a chorus to remind us of just how present and faithful God is. As we sing this, would you allow that declaration to frame the steps of obedience that God's inviting you to take?